0: And our chapter reading for today is John chapter 10. Jesus is the good shepherd. Most assuredly, amen, amen, verily, verily, I say unto you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Now, this is the beginning of the discourse of the Good Shepherd. Jesus is telling something that everyone in that part of the world knew something about. Remember, I've told you down through the months that we've been together in these podcasts that every Bible writer from Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, to John, who wrote five books in the New Testament, the last of which was the book of Revelation, that every Bible writer from Moses to John assumed, believed, trusted, and spoke as if the people understood the language, the history, the geography, and the cultural context of the day. In other words, the people to whom they were speaking They assumed, understood all of this. And so this language is very familiar to the Middle Easterner who knew about sheep and shepherd and many times would observe them every day. Now, it's interesting how much emphasis is placed on the voice. Just go down through that passage and read it again and see how often the shepherd is speaking, calling, in other words, his voice plays a very important part. Underlined every time you see something that relates to the voice, that is the word voice itself, calling, and uh, leading, all of that speaking. These are verbal words. These are words that speak of language, of hearing, of speaking, of uh, vocal enunciation and pronunciation. Now, why am I stressing this? Because I have watched in the sheep market in Israel as the sheep are gathered together, much like they were 2,000 years ago. And I have seen shepherds bring in their sheep and they would be leading their sheep. They would be followed by another shepherd, usually behind them, and they would all gather together. And many times the sheep would intermingle. But those shepherds knew their sheep. Many times when I have seen them leave, the shepherd who brought in his sheep, he would trill his tongue. That is, he would trill his speech, and it would be something like this, or something to that effect. And when he did that, as he walked away and began to speak like that and trill his voice, Then the sheep that belonged to him who were familiar with his voice would begin to single file run toward him. They would immediately go to the voice. Why? Because they had heard it over and over again throughout each day. It was a calming voice, a leading voice, a peaceful voice, a chastising voice, whatever the voice, they knew that that was their shepherd. It's like a baby zebra knowing the stripes of its mother. It's like when you are seeing all of these herds of wildebeest on the great Serengeti in Eastern Africa, thousands upon thousands of babies are born, and yet they stick right with their mother. This is something that is innate within the nature that God created. And the Lord uses this to teach a great, valuable lesson. And that is that God's sheep, the followers of Jesus, the great shepherd, when we hear his voice, we know it. I have experienced this in my own life. And it's nothing like what Jesus is talking about in the sense of the great shepherd theological lessons, but it is from the standpoint of a practical lesson what I'm about to share with you. When I was seven years old, my mother left, and when she left and left my father and uh, went away, I did not see her after a short period of time for years. I cannot tell you what that did in my heart. My heart was crushed. My mom was my world, and uh, at least a big part of it. And when she left, a seven-year-old boy that grew up in the early 60s, this was uh, divorce was not something that went on. Every child didn't have divorced parents. I didn't even know anyone who had divorced parents. I didn't even know what the word meant. I had to ask what divorce meant. When dad and mom gathered, uh, my two older brothers and I together, and said, tomorrow we're going to go put in for a divorce is the way that they expressed it. And when they said that, my heart sank because I saw my brothers burst into tears. So I said, what does that mean, mom, that you and daddy are going to put in for a divorce? And uh, my mother looked at me and said, mama's going away, honey. And I want to tell you, I thought this has got to be a dream. This is not real. I'm, I'm going to wake up. But I didn't, because it was real. And so when she left, it was several years before I saw her again. I didn't even, I had forgotten somewhat what she had looked like. I'd forgotten about what her voice sounded like. And I constantly thought of her and I'd try to remember all these things. And when I was about 13 years old, my grandfather died, her father, who had been away for years and years himself. And I had only remembered seeing him one time when I was about six years old. So I hadn't seen him for about seven years and had only seen him that once. But I knew my mother would be there. And so that's all I cared about was I was going to get to more than likely see my mother. And I can remember as plain as day going into the funeral home looking for my mother and she wasn't there. So my heart was just broken again because hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's what the book of Proverbs says. And I had great expectation. I had great hope, but it was being dashed again. I had just about given up hope. The room was crowded. All of a sudden, I heard someone say, Tony, Tony, is that you? And I turned around because I knew the moment she said, Tony, that it was my mother. And I could not see her, but she just kept saying, Tony, is that you? Because she had seen me, but I had not seen her. And I followed her voice till the people in front of me parted. And I saw my mom there with her arms open wide. I cannot tell you the emotion that filled my heart. And I ran and embraced my mother that I had not seen for years it just seemed like everybody else in the world went away because I'd heard my mother's voice, and I, I ran to it. This is what Jesus is saying. My sheep know my voice. They've heard it before, and they know it again. You will never forget the voice of your mother and your father. And it might not be pleasant for you to hear this because it might have been a voice of anger that you heard last. It might have been a voice of cheer or sweetness, But I can tell you this, you will remember the voice of your father if you ever hear it again. You'll remember the voice of your mother if you ever hear it again. If you really, really knew that voice to begin with. This is what Jesus is saying. My sheep know me. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep, when they hear my voice, they will follow me. Why? Because to those of us who believe... Jesus is precious. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, to those who believe, he is precious. And so when the scripture talks about Jesus being the good shepherd and hearing his voice, this is exactly what he's saying. Verse 7 says, then Jesus said unto them again, Most assuredly, amen, amen, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers." But the sheep did not hear them. Why? Because it was not the voice of Mashiach. It was not the voice of the Anointed One. Jesus said, I am the door. If any man enters in by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. What a tremendously comforting and encouraging passage. Jesus said, I am the door. I'm the only way in. If anyone enters in by me, he will be saved, and he'll go in and out and find pasture. Anyone else that goes in another way is a thief and a robber. That's what he said in the opening verses. Now, what does this mean? Was there any significance to those Jews who heard this? The shepherds among them? Well, of course there was. That's why I use this powerful illustration. You see, many times I have been in the Jordan Valley and watched in those pasture fields, even those alongside the road that a, everyday tourist can see and pass by. You will see flocks of sheep, and many times, if you'll look closely, they will be near where there's grass, yes, but they will be near a canyon, or they will be near a place where there is a rock buttress up against the side of the hillsides because it's straight up and uh, sloping for a while, yes, but then the hills began to rise. And so what's Jesus talking about? Well, in the evening, the shepherd, when they were out and they were out looking for pasture, they couldn't always go back home. That's why they took tents with them. And uh, what they would do is they would get these sheep into an enclosure the best they could, maybe where there's something of a natural U shape. They would find those. They knew where they were. They roamed these hills and these valleys over and over again for generations. And so they knew where the good overnight places were. And they would build rocks where they would build somewhat of a circle As much of that as possible would be by the walls that were already there, either embankments or rocks that they had piled up over the years. And then they would get the sheep inside this enclosure, and it would be one that the sheep couldn't get out of, of course, and go over except through this one entranceway. And then in the evening, the shepherd, when it was ready for time to bed the sheep down, what the shepherd would do is he would build that rock enclosure all the way until there is just an, an opening that was the size of his body. He would place his body over that opening, would lay down flat so that his body would lie flat on the ground. And that way, if the sheep Got out, they would have to go through him. They would have to walk through him and he would know what they're doing and he would feel them and he would not let them go out. If something tried to get in, the only way that something could get in was through that door and he was the door. So no one got out that he didn't want out. No one got in that he didn't want in. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. He said, I am the door. And if anyone enters in by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. And then he made an amazing statement in verse 10, and it's often quoted. The thief, he's talking about the devil. He's talking about Diabolos. And here he calls him a klepto. That's the word. You've heard of a kleptomaniac. Maniacal, when someone is a maniac, they are excited above measure. They are over the top. It is something that's pathological. It's something that comes from within them. And so we say that someone who just, as a habit, as their purpose, steals just to be stealing, we call them a kleptomaniac. Well, this is the word klepto for a thief. The klepto does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In other words, the devil, Satan himself, when he looks at you as a child of God, as a person created in the image of God, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, just someone who has been born into the human race, but especially if you're a child of God, what Satan wants to do is to destroy your life. He wants to ruin you. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal your joy, your life, your contentment. He wants to steal your family, your wealth. He wants to do all of that. He wants to murder you. He wants to kill you. Why? Because he's a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And then it says he wants to destroy. The word destroy is the same word that is used when Jesus talks about putting new wine in old wineskins that you don't do that lest the new wine burst the old wineskins and they be destroyed. The word is ruin. You see, the devil wants to ruin your life. He wants to destroy you. He's a liar, and he'll tell you if you'll just do this, if you'll be this or be that, you'll dabble in this and dabble in that. If you, oh, a God said this would hurt you. Don't believe him. Oh, that's, just, that's a general rule, but you can get by with it. You're the exception. He is a liar and a deceiver, and all he wants to do is ruin every person that is made in the image of God, and especially those who are followers of Jesus. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to ruin your children's lives he wants to ruin your family's life he wants to ruin your church why because he's a ruiner he's a destroyer as a matter of fact the word apollumi here one of the names that comes from that is the word apollyon Apollyon is the word that is used to describe Satan in the book of Revelation as the destroyer. His very name is Apollyon, the one who destroys. And this is what Jesus said Satan wants to do. But Jesus said, I have come. Jesus himself has come into this world that we may have life, all of us, that we may have life and have life more abundantly. And the word here means to overflow. It means to completely overflow the realm. Full to the rim and overflowing. Jesus doesn't want you and me just to survive. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to walk in the fullness of. God's Spirit of the Holy Spirit, to walk in the fullness of the Word. He wants us to be everything that He created us to be. But you see, you and I will never know God's plan for our lives unless we totally surrender to who Jesus is, and we take all that we are, we lay it at His feet, we take all that we have and lay it at His feet, we take all that we want to be, all that we want to have, and we lay that at His feet, and we say, I surrender to you. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. And then we begin to understand what it's like to live in the fullness of God's Spirit and to walk in the way of contentment. He is our great shepherd, and He is the one who protects us. And if we will follow Him, we can go to sleep at night knowing That He is the door. He's watching over us. Nothing's going to get to us unless He says so. And we are not going to be able to do anything without His okay. And if we do that which is displeasing to Him, then He's going to let us know that and deal with us, not as a grandfather, but as a father. And He will bring us back to the place of obedience. For on the way, this is Tony Crisp.